Hey, welcome. I am thanking God for you today. For those of you who are new, my name is Pastor Jed, and I am so thankful to get to worship and follow our Lord Jesus alongside you in your house church today. If this is your first time joining, your first time being part of a house church, I want to say welcome. This may look different than anything that you have experienced before, but we are committed. We're devoted to following the Lord and doing our best to be obedient to what he is showing us. It's about worshiping King Jesus. It's about loving each other well. It's about living in community and serving. It's praying together. It's studying the scriptures together and putting it into action. It's being so captivated by him that we cannot keep it in. And family, that's when our gatherings become this collection of praising King Jesus together because of how we've been spending time with him. I'm so thankful that you are with us and that we get to do this together. I'm going to ask if everyone in your house church would stand for the reading of God's word. Family, there are so many things that can fight for our attention right now and get us distracted. But we must not lose sight of the one who is seated on the throne. Amen. Let's keep our eyes fixed there on him. Listen to his word. Isaiah 40. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? No, for all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust and scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. All the wood in Lebanon's forest and all of Lebanon's animals would not be enough to make a burnt offering worthy of our God. Nations of the world are worth nothing to him. In his eyes, they count for less than nothing, mere emptiness and froth. To whom can you compare God? What image can you find to resemble him? Can he be compared to an idol formed of a mold overlaid with gold or decorated with silver chains? Or if people are too poor for that, they might at least choose wood that won't decay and a skilled craftsman to carve an image that won't fall down. Haven't you heard? Don't you understand? Are you deaf to the words of God? These words he gave before the world began. Are you so ignorant? God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. He judges the great people of the world and brings them all to nothing. They hardly get started, barely taking root, when he blows on them and they wither. The wind carries them off like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, asked the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. O Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? O Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood the Lord is the everlasting God, 
the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall on exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Fame of the Lord has no equal. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Wait for his voice. May we listen and follow him in obedience. I hope your house churches had a beautiful time of praise. As I heard Pastor Rulridge read from Isaiah 40, verse 10 is the verse that stuck out with me that our sovereign Lord is going to come with power and he's going to bring his reward with him. And it just made me want to cry out, Maranatha! It's one of the Christian words, that, biblical words that we've lost the meaning of. It simply means our Lord come. It's the cry of our heart. And this last week, I found my heart crying out, Maranatha, oh God, would you please just send Jesus back, if only. How's your week been? Mine? Glad you asked. Mine's been filled with pain, sorrow, suffering, and grief. Not exactly the upbeat start to a teaching that you like to hear, right? Pain, sorrow, suffering, and grief. I've experienced it on the personal level. We've experienced it as a community of faith uh, together around the table, and we're experiencing it across the world. On a personal level, this last week, um, I live in chronic pain. Uh, many of you know that when God created me, he created me with a, with a brain malformation, and it causes pain in the last month, and especially the last two weeks, the pain has been escalating, and it's been almost debilitating, and I've just been living with this pain and found myself angry. Why, God, won't you take this 
away. I found it on the family level as I had talked to my father, who's now 85 years old, and I listened to him on the phone, and I could hear the grief and the pain and the sorrow in his heart as he sat by the bedside of his childhood friend who's been suffering for years. My father would call me later in the week, and his friend had died, and my father attended his funeral, and he was the only childhood friend that was able to make it to the funeral. And there's just this pain and suffering. I was going, God, why would a man uh, that like this man who just passed away have to suffer like he did, and why does his wife need to continue to suffer? Why, God, is this going on? We've experienced that pain and that suffering in our community of faith a Thursday night around the table. And can I just say, if you have not made it a point to be part of one of our community meals, I would implore you, beg you, do whatever I have to do to ask you to get that on your schedule before the end of the year. You can reach out to Pastor Wooldridge at uh, jedw, jedw at miamivalley.org, and he'd be happy to provide the details. There, so there are so many beautiful things happening around the table when we get together uh, as, a, as a community of faith. Uh, recently on a Thursday night, Pastor Loran and Felix, one of the other refugees, just began to share Pastor Laurent shared about what's going on in a village near the village he grew up in in the Congo where the military, and yes, one general, had surrounded the village and cut off all the supplies, hoping that he could just destroy every person in that region of the Congo. Why does that happen? Felix shared about the church he was a part of in Burundi uh, before he came, that he still has friends and family that are there, and he had heard from them that the, the church facility that they were meeting in had been bought by another religious group, and the religious group said, you have to leave now. And they know that they can find another place, but it's likely going to happen again that when they find another place and build another facility where they can meet, another group's going to come in and buy it out from underneath them. And I just wonder why, God, is it so hard for your followers to worship in public and our brothers? That's our church family. Yes, they're across the world, but that's our church family suffering pain and grief. And it just makes, there's an anger that I found building inside of me. And then maybe like you, I found myself turning on the TV over the last week, confronted with the brutality and the death and the horrific images and pictures and sights and sounds of what's happening in Israel and what's happening on the Gaza Strip. And you see families and you hear families tell stories about uh, grandparents who were part of the Holocaust who have now been hauled off and are hostages once again. You hear stories about mothers and fathers protecting their children as their family is entirely killed and, and children's uh, baby infants' heads being beheaded. And I wonder why in the world and this grief, friends, this has hit me so hard. And I told my wife, I told Autumn, like, I don't know why this is so hard. Why is this happening? And I have so many questions and I have so few answers. And part of it, I think it's because of the way that I've been raised and part of the way of the North American church has told us, this is the way that you do things. Just think positive things and charge ahead, push through it. It'll all be better. But that wasn't working for me this past week. This anger, this suffering, this grief, this pain, this sorrow was just building up inside of me. And I was trying to prepare for this teaching. And as I was reading God's word in Acts chapter 8 and chapter 9, asking God, what do you want me to teach? I came across Acts chapter 8, verse 2, and it just stopped me in my tracks. Acts 8, 2 says this, Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, we've studied this story. He was simply one of the men, one of seven men that the church picked, like, you help us make sure all the widows get all the food that they need. Stephen was one of the men who was full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith, 
and he was just making sure needs were being met in the in the early church and all of a sudden he finds himself in a situation where he's asked to give an account and he preaches this beautiful sermon that pastor Woldridge has walked us through about who Jesus is and about how all the scripture points to Jesus and he became the first Christian martyr he was stoned to death a horrific way to die back in that day and people stood around some in agreement with all everything that was happening and all of a sudden the friends of Stephen the early church with persecution breaking out all around them. They knew they were going to have to flee their land, the land that they loved. They're going to leave their homes. They're going to move into territory that was hostile. And yet they took time to bury Stephen and make great lamentation over him. That's another word that the Christian church has lost. As much as we've lost Maranatha, we've lost lamentation. What in the world does that word mean? It's a word we don't use much, but we need to recapture it as followers of Jesus. I'll talk about that in a minute. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you and the church you're a part of made a great lamentation over anything? Like, eh, I'm not sure I have ever done that. And you're like, I'm not sure that I even know what it is. If I know what it is, I'm not sure I know how to do it. And if I know how to do it, it just seems so wrong and counter to what I've been taught and what I think about how I'm supposed to talk to God. Lamentation is hard. Listen to just a few words of lamentation throughout the scriptures. The book of Psalms in your Bible, there are 150 songs right there in the middle. Uh, the Hebrew title for, the, for that book is Praises. But of these 150 praises, 40% of them are lamentations. We don't talk about those so much. Listen, Psalm 10, why, O Lord, why do you stand far off? Why do you hide? Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget us forever? Psalm 83, God, do not keep silent. Do not be quiet. Do not be still. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? I cry out and you do not answer. Psalm 4, answer me when I call, God. Psalm 5, give ear to my words, O Lord. Give heed to my heavy sighing. We have not been taught or encouraged to pray these kinds of prayers. They're not nice. They're not pretty. They're raw. They're emotional. And they're not the type of prayers we find in most devotionals today. And usually the laments don't make it into the songs that we sing or the scriptures that we like to quote. I thought about this teaching and I really thought about just sitting in front of you today and just praying a long lament for about 20 minutes. And I could have done it because I've written them just from this past week, the pain, sorrow, grief, and suffering that I've experienced. But imagine if I had done that and I started and just said things like, God, have you forgotten me? Are you sleeping? When will you hear my prayer? When are you going to answer us? God, why are these things going on in the Congo and in Israel and the Gaza Strip in Burundi? God, why are these things happening in our community? Some of you might think I was losing my faith. You might want to reach out to me and just like, hey, hang in there, Pastor Tim. It's, it's going to be okay. You'd likely find yourself being nervous for me, asking yourself, is he okay? Is he depressed? And looking around and thinking, does anyone else in my house church think this is as awkward as I think it is? As we think about lament, some of you are like, I just don't think I could do it. I really don't want to talk about this kind of pain and suffering and sorrow and grief. But before you say prayers of lament aren't for you, please know that those who learn how to lament are in very good company. Some of you may have heard some of the words I read earlier, one of the laments from Psalm 22, and you're like, I know those words. Did you know that Jesus, when he was on the cross dying, lamented? That's right, he quoted from Psalm 22 when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
It was a prayer of lament. It was this kind of heart-wrenching outcry to God for God to do something and wondering why God was doing things the way he was doing it. Friends, lament is a complaint that's bound to faith. It's a petition that's bound to allegiance and it's confusion that's bound to trust. Well, Acts 8, verse 2 says they offered great lamentation over him. It doesn't give us a how-to manual, but it does give us a story. And in this story, as we go through it all, the early church is growing. And I believe they find themselves at a critical and an emotional and a spiritual place where it's time to grow. But they were experiencing great persecution. Up till now, the church was, was moving and thriving and growing. Yeah, they had some problems, but they were kind of petty problems. But now they were going to encounter persecution, and the movement of spirit was about ready to launch them out. And they had to wonder, with Stephen's death, does this movement end here? They couldn't fathom what had just happened or how a death like that could occur. And so the lament they offer there in Acts chapter 8, verse 2, that's where it's recorded, I believe is one of the things that enabled the church to keep on moving forward. And so as we move forward, as we think about learning how to lament, I want us to look at one song of lament together. It's Psalm 13. So I'm going to invite you to find in your Bibles, in your house churches, Psalm 13. It's only six verses. We're going to see that we can learn three things together about lament. They break down one thing in verses 1 and 2, one thing in verses 3 and 4, and one thing in verses 5 and 6. And while you're finding Psalm 13, I just want to give you the sermon in a sentence. The sermon in the sentence is this. When you suffer and grieve, and there will come times when you will, but when you suffer and grieve, Three things, tell God how you feel, ask God for his help, and reaffirm your trust in God. Those are the three things Psalm 13 teaches us how to do. And I'm gonna be asking you to do something very different as my time ends with you today. Something different in your house church, I'm gonna ask you to hold a service of lament. You see, because in lament we come to God with what's hard in our lives. Lament arises out of suffering. It's when folks are struggling with the reality of their lives because they can't pay their bills, they can't put healthy food on the table, the heat is about to get shut off, their son has been killed in a drive-by shooting, their father has been jailed for a minor offense, their infant child is now in the NICU, their mom has lost her job, their grandmother is sick with cancer, their family and friends are caught in a war zone, they're not allowed to worship openly, and babies are being slaughtered and beheaded, real people in real places at real times in real pain, and we need to learn how to deal with the suffering and grief. And we learn how to do it through lament. You see, we jump so quickly to everything that's going on. And we say, oh, everything's going to be okay. Everything's awesome. Everything's going to be fine. I'm really fine. But we forget that the Bible allows us and, in fact, encourages us. And maybe we could even say at times commands us to stay in those places of suffering, to speak the honest truth. Lord, this is how I'm feeling. God, this is the pain I'm experiencing. God, I need your help. God, I trust you. We need to learn how to do that instead of jumping so quickly to God is so good, God loves me, and God is going to take care of me. Yes, we will end up there, but it's not where we start if we're honest. I think lament is the honesty that sometimes we lack in the church. I believe our house churches should be the most honest places in town. Our house churches and our community meals shouldn't be the happiest places in town, but they should be the most honest places in town. But if we don't know how to lament, then we have no place to take the suffering and sorrow in our lives. Without lament, we won't know how to help other people walking through sorrow. Instead, we'll offer trite solutions, unhelpful, unhelpful comments, or impatient responses. I believe we need to recover this ancient practice of lament and the grace that comes through it. I believe our walk with Jesus suffers when lament is missing. So let's look again at one of these Psalms of Lament, Psalm 13, and here are the three things that we can learn together today. 
First, when it comes, comes to lament, we can tell God how we're feeling. Verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 13. Verses 1 and 2 say, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? David, the author of this song, says, No pretending here. Here's complete honesty. And did you notice he repeats one phrase four times? How long? The distress and the anguish that's in his soul is complex. His distress is there in relationship to God. It felt like God had forgotten him and hidden his face from him. And he was honest about that. God, where are you? It's complex and this distress is in relationship to himself. His thoughts, you see, were full of turmoil. His heart is full of grief and pain. And it's in relationship to his enemy. David faced a threat against his very life. Have you noticed that there are times it seems like that God has hidden his face from us? There are times even in the life of someone who follows Jesus that our thoughts are full of turmoil and anxiety. There are times when we face external threats that are real and dangerous to us. Please, as a follower of Jesus, don't ever let anyone tell you that your life will be free from trouble. You see, we live in a world that's been damaged by sin. We experience what David did. We'll go through times that feels like God has hidden his face when our hearts are full of sorrow and we face very real problems and very real enemies. So what do we do about this? We can't use our normal and human responses We can't just act with anger or denial, which is usually our normal way of dealing with grief and sorrow. We can't just shake our fist at God and say we're angry. We can't deny it. We can't forget it and just move on. Instead, as this grief and sorrow and pain and suffering is going on, we have to make room for God. And that's what lament does. It makes room for God by bringing our feelings to him and telling him about it. And this will completely change our approach to prayer. Rather than coming to God with only a part of our life, we come to him with all of it, including our messy parts, the parts we're ashamed of. We tell him how we feel. We spill our guts in front of God. God, these are my struggles. This is my pain. And God wants us to bring those things in front of him. We need to come to Jesus in our weariness. We need to come overwhelmed with life. Come with the wandering that's going on in our mind. Come messy. That's okay. In fact, that's his invitation. We need to come honest to God about what's going on in our life. We don't like phrases like, I shouldn't spill my guts in front of God, but yes, we should. We need to come humbly and honestly. We can use the Psalm, even Psalm 13 as our guide. Tell God what's really going on in our life. Let me ask you this question. What hard thing in your life haven't you prayed about yet? Why not take some time today to come honest to God? and tell him exactly how you're feeling. That's the first thing this Psalm of Lament teaches us. Lament tells us we need to tell God how we're feeling, and it's okay. The second thing in the third and fourth uh, verses of Psalm 13 that this song teaches us about lament is this. We can ask God for help. Look at how David asked for help in these two verses, verses three and four. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God, Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. These verses serve as the turning point of this song. David feels like God has abandoned him, but don't miss this. David doesn't totally trust his feelings. In simple faith, he pleads with God to hear his prayer and to answer his prayer. Look at the words David used. First of all, he says, consider. 
David asked God to take notice. David said that he believed that God had forgotten him. And now he asked for this sense of alienation to end. Consider what I'm going through, God. This is how I'm feeling. Now would you just consider it? Then he says, answer. That's another word that he used. He wants God to answer his prayer. And then he's looking for a result. David asked God, God, light up my eyes. Don't let my enemies continue to rejoice over me or have the victory. God, change my situation so that my eyes can sparkle with joy again. We don't know the exact circumstances of this song, but we see that David asked God for a change. And you and I can do that too. We can ask God for help. We keep coming to God even when it feels like he's abandoned us. We ask him for what he needs. If you're not sure how to do this, I want to remind you of this. God has already invited you to do this. God has initiated an invitation. All you need to do is RSVP and show up. One of the best things we can do when it comes to learning how to lament is meditate on all the invitations that God has given us to come to him and tell him what we're feeling. James chapter 4 says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Jeremiah chapter 29 says, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Matthew chapter 7 says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and it will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. What an amazing invitation. Tell God what you need. Maybe my, one, of, one of my favorite invitations is Recorded in Matthew chapter 11, I truly appreciate the message paraphrase of this, where this is Jesus talking and he says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real, real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. When we tell God um, how we're feeling, we ask God for his help. We simply say, God, Jesus, I want your help. And scripture repeatedly tells us to ask God for what we need and then trust him for the results. When it comes to asking God, I think too many of us don't ask enough. I had a seminary professor who introduced me to the concept of what he called large asking. I took this professor for every course I had. So in the course of the nine semesters that I was in seminary, I probably had him for 10 classes. And every time, at least once in every class, he would tell this story about large asking. And when explaining what he meant, he would always tell a story about a man who had an encounter with Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great wanted to marry this man's daughter. And so he went to Alexander the Great and said, okay, you can have my daughter's, in hand, you can have my daughter's hand in marriage, but I require from you a large sum of money. Alexander agreed and told the man, just go see my treasurer, tell him what you want, and he'll give you whatever you want. So the father of the bride went and asked the treasurer for an enormous amount. The treasurer was startled and he said, I can't give you that kind of money without a direct order. So the treasurer went to Alexander the Great and told him, hey, we shouldn't give the man all of this money. Give him just a small fraction and that will change his life forever. That will change the course of his family. Just give him a little bit and that's enough. And Alexander simply replied, no, let him have all of it. I really like that fellow. He does me honor. He treats me like a king and proves by what he asks that he believes me to be both rich and generous. A professor would conclude 
every time he told that story and say this, I can still quote him. In the same way, we should go to the throne of God's grace and present petitions that express honorable views of the love, riches, and bounty of our King. I love that. We need to learn to become a large ask. Tell God how you're feeling and make a large ask. Go to God's throne, assuming and knowing that he's loving, rich, and that he cares for you, even when you feel like he's absent. Ask for his help. So first, verses one and two, tell God how you're feeling. Second, verses three and four, ask God for his help, become a large asker. And then third, when it comes to learning how to lament, verses five and six, reaffirm your trust in God. Listen to verses five and six. I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Laments, as you study them, one of the last elements they all include is praise. But usually it's not praise itself. It's a vow to praise. It's like, God, I've told you how I'm feeling. I've asked for your help. And I know I need to praise you, but I'm not quite there yet. But I make a vow to return to that. I am committed to that as I watch you. Look at that change in verses five and six. What's happened? Something's happened in David's life to make him turn to God and lament. He committed his griefs to God. He told him how he was feeling. He asked for his help. And then he remembered God's steadfast love. David remembered that God has a history with his people. Over and over in David's life, God had proved trustworthy. And over and over again in your life and my life, God has shown himself to be trustworthy. David reminded himself of God's character. He reminded himself of God's salvation, that God is continually working out his purposes in this world. And he expressed his trust and promised to praise God even in the darkest valley. Lament is powerful. It's a way of being honest before God and asking for his help. But lament is most powerful when it turns our hearts towards belief, reminding us of who God is. I've discovered in my own life, even this last week, I've been reminded that lament reaches out to God when logic urges me to run away. When pain and grief and sorrowing are just too unbearable, God, if this is the way it's going to be, I'm done. David, though he was in a deep mire, and though you and ourselves find ourselves in deep valleys, we can feel like we are ready to abandon our faith, but lament helps us to do just the opposite. Uh, lament announces that even though we don't like what's happening, we are choosing to trust. When we lament, we are reaffirming our belief in God, even though we don't understand all of the details. When I think about reaffirming my trust in God, for me, it boils down to a few things. After I've told God how I feel, after I've asked him for his help, I say things like this. I found myself saying these things this last week. God, I believe that you exist. Hebrews tells us, that whoever comes to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who seek him. God, I believe as you, I believe you exist. I would never send an email or make a phone call to someone I didn't believe was real. And when I reach out to God, as God, I know who you are. I know and I believe you have the ability to help. I believe you exist. Secondly, God, I believe you're powerful. I can't hold someone accountable unless I believe they have the, the power to affect a different result. God, the fact that I'm complaining to you means that I know you could have done something about it and you can bring about a different result in the future. God, I believe that you exist and I believe and confess that you are powerful. And finally, when I, when I tell him, when I, when I reaffirm my trust, I simply say, God, I believe that you love me. God, I believe you see my misery. I believe you hear my cry and I believe you are concerned and you will send a rescuer and a deliverer to move me through this valley. By sharing my deep personal feelings with you, God, I affirm that you are a caring listener. Otherwise, I should just keep my thoughts to myself. God, I hurt because I know you love me. 
And I cannot humanly reconcile that love with my current reality. And I've got to believe you have something better in store. Lament leads us to trust. Lament, I've discovered, is what turns my why questions, my whys into wise living. Lament is how I learned to live between a hard place and God's promises. It's how I learned to sing and worship when suffering and grief and pain just covers me. Lament and learning to lament gives us the grace to keep trusting. What I've been praying for you and all who would hear this is very simply this. When you suffer and grieve, and you will, that you'll learn to tell God how you feel, ask God for his help, and reaffirm your trust in him. As I look at what's happening in my life personally, as I look at what's happening in our community of faith around the table and brothers and sisters in Christ suffered in the Congo and Burundi and other places in Africa, and as those people aren't just strangers anymore, they're family. As we take on that grief, as we look at what's happening with the injustice and hatred and the war that's going on all over the world, I believe it's time for the church to cry out, Maranatha, O Lord, come. But until you do, we will lament. We're going to ask you to set things right, to bring an end to this war, and to move forward reaffirming our trust in you, the God, who has expressed your love to us so powerfully in the scripture that he didn't spare his own son, but he gave Jesus, the rescuer and the redeemer and the deliverer, to lead us to the place where we need to be. So I want to ask you in your house church to do these three things. Tell God how you feel. Ask God for his help and reaffirm your trust in him. And you're like, Tim, I'm not even sure I know how to do that. I'm not sure how to go forward. That's going to be so hard. As I was watching the events unfold in Israel and the Gaza Strip, I was reminded about a story I was told about a rabbi in the Yom Kippur War, which is in 1973. The rabbi's name was Harold Kushner. And he tells the story of the day that he was leading worship on Yom Kippur in 1973, when what is now known by many as the Yom Kippur War broke out. Yom Kippur is one of the holiest days on the Jewish calendar. It's the Day of Atonement. Most Jews will spend the entire day in the synagogue praying and fasting. In October of 1973 on Yom Kippur, the Egyptians and the Assyrian armies attacked Israel and many lives were lost, especially in the first hours of the fighting as Israel was not ready for the attack. The news of the attack was announced in just about every synagogue during the time of worship and prayer. And in Rabbi Kushner's synagogue, he announced what was going on. And upon hearing the news, a young man slammed his prayer book down and stormed out of the synagogue. A week later, he would come to see Rabbi Kushner to apologize. He sat in front of the rabbi and he said, I am so sorry, rabbi. I shouldn't have slammed the prayer book down and just stormed out. I just couldn't believe that God would allow young Jewish boys to be killed on Yom Kippur. I'm sorry for what I did and I'm sorry for what had happened. Rabbi Kushner replied, you have nothing to be sorry about. You slamming the prayer book down was probably the most honest and sincere prayer that was said all day. Rabbi Kushner continued, The God I believe in is not so fragile that you hurt him by being angry at him, nor is he so petty that he will hold it against you for being upset with him. I believe that he is just as upset about people being killed in the war as you and I are, that he respects good, clean, honest anger as much as you and I do, and a lot more that he respects that kind of response than he respects mumbled prayers by people just going through the motion. When I think about lament, I think about that story. What a great answer from the rabbi. 
who knew the power of lamenting and how laments teach us over and over again to tell God how we feel, to ask him for his help, and to reaffirm our trust in him. I don't know where you need to start today. Whether it's with slamming something down and you just don't know how else to respond because you're so angry and you just need to take a step to begin the lament process. But would you not just do an action? You now have what you need from Psalm 13 to do what you need to do with your grief, sorrow, pain, and suffering. My prayer for you is that this, in your house, church, and in your lives, in your homes, you will tell God how you're feeling, ask God for his help, and even if you're not there yet, reaffirm your trust in a God who loves you, who sees your misery, and is going to do something about it in his time. Almighty God, we cry out to you today, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. We long for that day when you come with your power, with your strength, bringing your reward with you. We long for that day when there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more crying, no more tears. But God, we live in a world that is filled with crying and pain and sorrow and grief and suffering. And so teach us to lament. God, some of us have been holding some stuff in for a long, long time, afraid to tell you how we're feeling. But God, you can take it. May we tell you how we're feeling today. May we be honest. God, may we tell you what we need. May we ask for your help. May we be large askers. And God, even if we're not there yet, may we reaffirm our trust in you, believing that you exist, believing that you can answer, and believing that you love us. Father, help us to turn to you today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.